0: all from the comfort of your home visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month that's BetterHelp. h-e-l-p hello and welcome to a life in dublin i'm your host mark and with your permission we'd love this podcast to be your digital companion for the next little bit at least have you ever felt that chill crawl up your spine that uncanny sense you're not alone even in an empty room I'm not just talking about bumps in the night or shadows that don't quite make sense. I'm talking about stories so palpable, so raw, that they invite us to question the boundaries between the seen and the unseen, the known and the unknown. Let me introduce you to Peter Dunn, the writer and director of the highly rated Petrified podcast. In this chat, we talk about the global success of the Petrified podcast, how Peter found his passion of invoking fear in others, and what's more, how he made a career out of it. In the description of this episode, you'll find a link to the Petrified podcast and also a link to their live show, which will be on the 25th of October in the Laughter Lounge. Something a bit different and a plan I'd hundred percent recommend for the lead up to Halloween. But now here's my chat with Peter. But oh, yeah, driving across the city for like five o'clock—it's a bit of a disaster. Nightmare. Yeah, yeah. What, what Dublin has come to, I don't know. There's too many fucking cars. <laughs> um, that's the problem. I had to listened to the podcast. Oh, yes, it had my attention from minute zero oh, all the way to. I think it was like a 28-minute episode, more or less. And I was captivated by oh, it. Oh, thank
1: you very much. Um, yeah. Which one did you listen to?
0: I listened to. Um, probably shouldn't have listened to this one because I was kind of I don't work in radio. but I do, you know, <laughs> but I don't take call-ins. Thankfully, but it was dead air. Oh yeah, um, that was that actually
1: was, the very first one. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, but so well done. You thank know, you. I have only. I'm a huge fan of podcasts in general, um, and then since, but this time last year, started doing this one. But like on a learning curve i don't know anything i don't have any experience in in audio but bit by bit i'm i'm trying to like build i'm not Doing studying any courses, but I understand now how difficult it is maybe to filter audio and to make it sound this way, and to put music in the background. So and then make sure the music's not too high. That, yeah. you know, All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So even listening to it from an end sound engineering point of view, I was like, wow, this is so. Oh, well
1: totally. Because Liam now is the so I only like rhythm and direction, but Liam mm. does all the production, all the sound stuff like that. Mm. But he's a wizard. Like how he does yeah. it, and even but what he tries to do as well as. Uh he doesn't like to use like sound banks, so he'll try and make the sounds himself. Wow. And there was one episode where there was uh two sisters actually having a physical fight, so he said he put cushions on the floor and was throwing himself around the floor and rolling. <laughs> <laughs> that's <right>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Creative's at work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's great. Yeah, he's I don't know no. how he does it. Yeah. yeah amazing.
0: Tell me a little bit about your your background in this. How, how did you first get in, into writing this kind of stuff? Putting it together was the podcast the origin of it, or did something else come before that?
1: Well, I was always kind of big into well, always big into horror mm. and always big into storytelling. And um, I started off like writing for a theater. And then what happened was I got this thing in my head. So when I write for theater, I like to try and mess around with the medium so one of the plays I did called broadening it all happens out of sequence so you see the end at the beginning then the middle it's all mixed up so I like kind of setting myself these little challenges Mm -hmm. telling unusual stories and we did um and so I got this idea into my head uh you know like audio tours the tourists go on I was going Mm. what if you could make one up and it was a load of lies and then when everyone goes back to their Uh, home countries they have these stories about Dublin and none of them are true (laughs) so so that was the plan so I was going how would I how would I do that because I'd never done anything like that before and um so I used to run an underground film night called Morb, where we take like people to, to really weird locations and show them like surprise kind of shock films. And Liam Garrity, the producer, he interviewed me for RT radio. And so he was literally the only person I knew who had ever done any kind of radio stuff. So mm. I was going, okay, so how do I trick him? So I contacted him and I pretended I, cause I knew he loved podcasts and I pretended I wanted to know more about podcasts. Would he meet me for a coffee? And so while we're having the coffee, I start, like, kind of running this idea past him and going, if only I knew somebody who could do something like that. And he's going, <laughs> no, I could do it. So basically, so that's uh, how it started off. What I did was um, uh, you started at Smock Alley, and then there was this audio tour that led you through the city. And But I timed it, like, I even timed my average walking speed from here to here. And if this took two minutes, I had to have a story that lasts exactly two minutes. Wow. Um, and then along the way, you saw stuff kind of like carvings on buildings or things on the road, and you put them all together and you actually kind of were trying to solve this mystery. But then what it turned That's out so cool. at the end was you'd actually, if you looked at it in a ma- uh, above on a map, You'd walked a runic symbol around the city and you'd cursed yourself. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's oh, so that's great thank you. So, we, so we, well, no, because what happened was, um, the city changed, so there was lots yeah. of construction, things yeah. were knocked down, so some of the little things were different, but um, and so through that, so, uh, we got the we got the attention of the Bram Stoker Fest when they hired us to do like another similar tour thing, and then uh, Liam and I love kind of anthology horror stuff like you know, Inside Number Nine, Twilight Song stuff, mm-hmm. and then I was going, what if we? And we said, what if we took the next step and actually made like a horror anthology for radio? Mm-hmm. So so yeah, but then uh, when we were doing the launch of the podcast in the Sugar Club. Um, I told this story on stage and realised I'd never told Liam that I tricked him. <laughs> 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 and so he Surprise! found out on stage in front of an audience. He actually turned around and went, what? <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, how did you...
0: Well, uh, this is what I'm, all, I'm interested in. Like, I'm so interested in people who can, uh, first of all, identify what it is that they they love and that they're interested in. But then going for it is a whole other thing and um, so that meeting that you had with Liam were you nervous
1: oh no because if I was nervous it would give the game away Ah, okay <laughs> maybe I'm a sociopath <laughs> <laughs> but no it was just um, it was just because I you know because I thought it was such a good <laughs> Something that I do is I tend to get involved in things that I have no experience in whatsoever. Like, I like to throw myself in the deep end and then just, you know, force yourself to swim. And so, literally, because the only person I'd ever met who had ever done audio was Liam, I was Mm. just like, well, okay, I have to get him to work with me or else it's not going to happen. So I just kind of went in with that mindset that this just has to happen or there's going to be no show. And when you were
0: um, writing for theatre... Um, at what point, like, at what point did you start doing that, and how did you get into that even?
1: Uh, so I grew up in Ballyfermot, and so mm-hmm. there was this. Uh, there was they were doing these drama classes over in like the resource centre, and one of my friends wanted to go and didn't have the nerve to go by themselves, so I said I'll go with you. And then when they were finished, the woman that was running the drama classes said, have you ever heard of a place called Dublin New Theatre? I was a teenager. And so I auditioned for that and got that. And the thing about Dublin U Theatre is um, it's not just learning how to be an actor. Like, you learn how to write a play. You learn how to direct. You learn how to do all the backstage cool. stuff. And then did all that and made great friends. And then... Um, just life got in the way so I ended up working and writing fell by the wayside like I'd write kind of stuff for myself but never had like an outlet for it and then two of my friends had uh, done a show for the fringe festival called Waiting for Ikea and Georgina McEva and Jacinta Sheeran and so it was the end of the festival and it was the big party and so we'd gone like back to somebody's house and the, the three of us was kind of like sitting on the sofa in some stranger's house and we were locked and one and Georgina said to me why don't you write anymore and I was going ah sure you know mm. why would I and then um one thing about me is if you dare me to do something I'll do it right. and so she said okay I dare you to write my next friend show and I said right wow. like kind of drunkenly said yeah I'll do it and then just forgot all about it and then it was a few weeks before the deadline to send in stuff for The Fringe and Georgina like rings me She goes, have you got that show? And I went, yeah. And then I went, what? And I wrote a show for her. But then while I was writing the show, I just went, oh my god, I love this. And I forgot how much I love it. And so, and then that whole experience um, was just such a great kind of way of going, yeah, I've had this, I've had a brain that loves kind of making all this stuff and I've just been not tapping into it. And that Opened everything that just opened, you know. It's because uh, not just theatre. Then I start doing like um, short films, um, even comics tours, underground film nights and all. Um, but I always say, I have them too, and the dare to thank for my mm. career. Yeah. So you have this
0: mind that's like it's it's full of creativity. It's full of this creative like ability, which is amazing. Thank uh, you. It's a real gift. Um, how then? What's the writing process look like for you are you do you can you are you one of these people that can sit down in a busy cafe with music in your ears and write or do you need silence or I need
1: deadlines <laughs> 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 if I had like three months to write something, I'll write in the last yeah. three days <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I need deadlines or else forget about it um uh even like there's a something that um you know, the Petrified crew keep bringing back. Uh, there was a certain episode we did where... Because um, we record Petrified, actually, the majority of them in my house around the dining room table. So all the actors come over, oh. Liam comes over, stuff like that. And um, it was... We were recording in my house on Sunday morning at 11. Everyone had to be there. And it was 10 o'clock Saturday night and I had no episode. <laughs> I just knew it was going to be in a call centre. And I was just going... Uh, and I just kept putting it off and putting it off. And then when it hit 10 o'clock, I was going, well, you have to write now because everyone's coming over. But it was, but the reason kind of, I suppose, why deadlines are good for me in a way is because I stopped second guessing myself. If I have no time, I just write, 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 write. And then because if I had ages, I'd like write a bit and go rubbish. And then perfectionism rubbish. kicks in. Yeah yeah and so if I have no choice but to write then I'll pour it all out and then I can look at it and go okay there's something great here I can change it while if I would have started early in the week it wouldn't have been the same script wow. I would have thrown half of it away I would have changed little bits here and there so yeah. so it's more so um, more so the deadline stopped me from doubting my ideas rather yeah. than forcing me to do it. It's funny because yeah. I remember
0: like, I don't have any kind of writing experience like you do, but I remember being in, in college, for example, and i having to write essays, and would it would have be been the same where I'd be like, you know, start of the first semester, and you're like, are you all en- enthusiastic? And you're like, right, there's an essay due in six months. You know what, I'm going to start writing this now. You write one paragraph and you're like, that is just, it's <laughs> terrible. That's like the way. And then ultimately what it comes down to is like hours beforehand. <laughs> And I always used to say, I'm not allowed to stand up from this seat. I'm not even allowed to go to the toilet until (laughs) I have written 3,000 words. (laughs) And you're like, but in your mind, you're like, what an idiot. Uh, And then I was, someone, uh, you know, that famous Beckett quote, which is like, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. And I was like, oh, because you're always in your, when you're doing something like this, and even with the podcast, like I'm, I don't try to make them perfect. I don't really edit these or anything mm. because I know if I go into that frame of mind, I will lose oh, my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I so I try and be real light with it, mm. and it's like, it's doing and failing and doing and failing. Like it, it, I'm not aiming for good. <laughs> I'm aiming just for a little bit better. Yeah. And it's funny how that really helps me, even with anything, like yeah. even with this. Um, if I was twenty five, I would have stopped doing this a long time ago because of what you're talking about. Yeah. Just that, like, I'd listen back to when I got that was absolutely fucking shit. Never again. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? How yeah. you you have to learn to deal with that kind of stuff mm. as well. Yeah, um, and I, I can't imagine that it's pressure that you have on on yourself to because all those actors that come in, they're brilliant, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. how do how do you go about choosing them? Or, or? Uh,
1: most of them, are, like every single one of them, are friends. Just wow. that's that's the good thing about like being in running in drama circles, every <laughs> single one of them are friends, and then uh, as each series goes on, I'll go, Oh, this is this is one for yeah. such and such, this is one for you. And so, everyone, there's there's rarely been any, I think there's no one that's only been in one, they always come back, and I just it's so we've kind of become a little family, and so because um, some of them in particular, like uh, Margaret McAuliffe. She's been in 15 of them, and Donna Gordy, I think he's been in 18 of them. But sometimes they'll be in the same episode as different people because yeah. they're so good at different voices and stuff mm. like that. And then, as well, because you know, it's so such a because we're around my dining room table, it's so laid back and just you know, it's a real relaxing sense of working. And then none of them actually see the scripts until it's plonked in front of them on the table, so we're used to each other's ways of working and stuff like that um
0: but at the end of it you're professionals really like you know if i I asked some of my friends to do that it would be a disaster (laughs) (laughs)
1: you know but it's but you know at the same time i i realize that like what i'm asking them is a big ask because in a way they're almost cold reading and so i give them like kind of light direction and then we just go for it and then if it's gone wildly off course i'll say can we try it in a different way but like because the other thing i do is like um I don't like them knowing the ending before they mm. see it because in one episode in particular, two um, to the characters it turns out in the last maybe three minutes you find out that they're serial killers. Mm. But I was going if the actors know this in advance, they'll be playing it. They'll be like kind of you know putting like you know big emphasis in certain lines or getting or dropping their voices. But the fact that they were just acting as much of it, it was a shock for the audience. It was a bigger shock for them mm. when they rea- so there's stuff like that. that I don't want people playing into the thing, because usually with Petrifieds, there's, there's almost a reveal at the end of the episodes or yeah. something unusual that happens, and I don't want to give hints along the way, mm. which is, you know, a roundabout way of saying the scripts aren't finished, to give it to them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: ah, well, no, they're definitely... You have it kind of in your head, I think, what you want. Um, when you're walking through the streets and you see something, and does it spark an idea? Definitely. Well, d-
1: see, where like, we're all this where all of it came from is like uh, growing up in Ballyferma like loved horror and loved Halloween and so um, uh, so you know you'd go around all the doors get all the sweets and then we'd go home and then it would always be my mum my aunties my nana and some of the kids and they'd do like a few little crappy games Uh, you know the money and the apple or the bob and apples in the basin and I was just going but this just won't do there has to be more to Halloween than this So I start making up Halloween stories and games and stuff Mm. like that for everyone else. Um, And so one in particular, there was a... What
0: age were you at this point?
1: Oh, God, I would have started like when I was about eight or nine. And then there were were lots of young kids and then I start doing it throughout. So one in particular was um, uh, we told all the younger all the younger brothers and sisters and cousins and all that my nana had found a suitcase out her back garden when she was digging and when she opened it, it was full of children's clothes and photographs and it turned out that there had been two orphans that had died in the house and the people that killed them wanted to hide the fact that they ever existed so they put everything in the suitcase and, and buried it at the back but then because the suitcase had been opened, the spirits of the orphans were in the house and the kids had to do all these things to try and release the spirits Oh, so that wow. would have so then we had like we had Minana like sitting up in bed and we made a video of her with, like, if a I was a kid at that bed.
0: point I would have put my pants my oh pants. They'd, they'd, be,
1: <laughs> they'd be crying and everything but like, <laughs> like there'd be at least four children crying for parody. but like and one terrible thing in particular, like uh so the kids were in the so you know, you'd run upstairs with the kids and so they're you know, you're holding the door closed and my mum would be on the other side of the door like banging to get in and, and I'd be going, The orphans turning it in, I was going the only safe place is under the bed. But they wouldn't realise that my auntie was already under the bed. Awesome. Oh, oh, no. So they would jump oh. under the bed to get away and there's something under there. <laughs> oh they wouldn't
0: sleep for weeks, I'd say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that was but that's kind of where it all came from, was like how can I because it's, yeah, how can I kind of, uh, and that's, so that's where all this stuff sparked off with how do you, how do you make something, how you do things like that, and then you just put pieces together. So, yeah, to yeah to answer your question like everything anything could inspire you like we could be chatting here and you could say something I go hmm you know it could be the, the smallest little thing that just <laughs> <laughs> but
0: you know for me that's that's such an ability and I just nice. because uh, fair enough like you started at eight or nine not only is that a game so for, if I'm thinking of a game it's normally like whatever some type of competition but that is, there's a story you built, and you built an actual story at eight or nine years old to, to make people buy into the game because that's what it is, right? Because mm. mm. even with any story, it has to be you have to get people's attention. So you're doing that from a really young age without knowing that that's what you were doing. I imagine you just wanted to have a good time and uh, totally.
1: And yeah. and the, the, I I like the thing that you said. The buy-in. Some of the things I love are. Um, hoaxes, so, you know, like in the was it the late nineties? Like the BBC had that TV show called Ghost Watch with Michael mm. Parkinson. Okay. Um, so it was this TV show, and it went out live on Halloween, and uh, Michael Parkinson was in it, and all these TV presenters. And basically, what it was, um, he was in the studio talking to all these professionals, but they had like the reporters reporting live from this person's house, who said the house was haunted and there were ghosts in it. But um, but then it all goes crazy, um, the the set where Michael Parkinson and everything falls apart, uh, the reporters start getting killed, but people at home watching this thought it was real, and but it was all kind of filmed and so th- it got like, I think it was thousands of complaints from people who said they were watching this, their children were crying, somebody said they had a psychiatric breakdown, oh, other Jesus. people were afraid to go to sleep and... Um, it actually uh, was banned from television. It was a, like you can get it on YouTube and DVD, but like I love, I love, sorry, I
0: love people like yeah. the way they like they'll write it. You could have just changed the channel. <laughs> yeah, if you were really, yeah. if you were really finding it that scary, yeah. you know, just turn it off.
1: They were thinking that this that was happening. They were yeah, yeah, yeah they real. thought it was real, um, and so that's the that's the kind of thing I like as well. The, the buy-in. How can you, even though there's a wall between you and the listener or the viewer. How can you make them buy in enough to see themselves in or, or see a bit of reality in it or, you know, not to frighten the crap out of them, but just so that they'll get a more of an emotional response. So it's not so, even with Petrified, like I try and make the characters as, as believable as possible so that, you know, they're not just these screaming people in the background. They're people with lives, with views, with thoughts. And so therefore, you know, you care more what happens to them or feels realer because this is a real person, mm-hmm. so
0: mm. Mm. do you uh do you believe in in the supernatural?
1: I wish I did, I yeah. wish I did um my family would have been big believers in it, like you know lots of um even though we grew up like in the the suburbs, but, like you know my aunties would be telling these stories about like the the banshee like or the banshee was sitting on the wall down there combing her hair or and we even had, like, um, there was, like, all these family ghost stories and stuff like that. And so I wanted to believe it. And, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning when you hear a noise, you do believe it. But there's mm-hmm. something... And then, you know, I did a Ouija board before that that worked and stuff like that. But there's, there's something... Somebody had a good description. They said the way they think of a haunting is... Um, you know, if you've had a big house party, everyone over in your house, and then mm. uh, the next morning you come downstairs and your house is trashed, and you can feel the party in your house. That's mm. how they describe the aunt and that it's the feeling of something. So mm. I believe in that kind of stuff, like these kind of energies, but whether it's actual spirits walking through walls or contacting you, I don't know. But to, like saying that, though, I've, you know, done all the tarot card readings. I've done all the sciences, the ghost hunts and stuff like that. So I love it, but I would love if I could be convinced more mm.
0: for me the, what's fascinating about the whole thing is the power of belief in general mm. and I, I I, almost feel that whether it's real or not doesn't matter I think if someone believes it for them it's real Yeah, you know your mind is an incredibly powerful thing mm. um, and you can see things that sometimes might not fully be there or whatever mm. on my own I think my uh, traumatised childhood was growing up with older brothers. Um, and <laughs> Full stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more or less. <laughs> but I remember like, there, was a big, there was a big enough distance, so they had, they had the intelligence to go, "How oh, we're gonna wind this guy up, right? Um, so first of all, I remember the first thing was when I grew up in, in Mullingar uh, for the first six years of my life, uh, it was traumatizing enough in itself. <laughs> but then uh, I remember at the back of the garden, there was like a little stream and of course the boogeyman lived across the stream so but that's not that was that was grand i didn't really understand what the boogeyman was they're kind of describing to me every now and then then there was a guy called bertie that lived in the attic but like he he wasn't necessarily again scary he's just like you shouldn't go up there or ever look at him for him because he's there but they you know he'd be having dinner and they'd like <laughs> be talking about oh did you see bertie today? yeah he has a fuck is bertie I'm like why oh, i ever see um but then i remember the thing that really um, caused caused me issues was when I had, must have been about eight or nine or whatever age, maybe younger actually. It would have been six or seven. Just after we moved to Dublin, and in new house, new sounds, all the rest of it. And I was thinking about ghosts, or maybe I'd watch something on TV, or probably watched Pretty Casper or something like that. And I remember coming down the stairs, and my brother Richie was watching TV, and I was just like, "Richie, are are ghosts real?" You know, but like, yeah, like I wasn't messing. I was coming downstairs, like it was on my mind. And he was like, just watching TV, didn't even look at me. He just goes, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I didn't expect you to say. Like, I, I was, hoping you were going to say no. And he goes, but how, how do you know that they're real? I was like, have you ever seen a ghost? He's like, no, no, you can't see them. And I was like, okay. How do, you, how do you know that they're real then? Because you know when you're thinking about ghosts, I was like, yeah. So that's when there's one in the room. <laughs> oh, brilliant,
1: there's an idea. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I was like, ah, okay. So they're like, go back out to bed. In the middle of the night, you're like, don't think about ghosts, don't think about ghosts. And you're like, shit, there's
1: one in the room. <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, that was terrible.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices terrified me for years um this eventually culminated this is kind of a long enough story i don't remember if i said this in the podcast before but uh it culminated in years later like obviously then growing up and going, oh don't be stupid mark like ghosts aren't real like you've never seen one you've never but always in the back of my head was that childhood like trauma that that he gave me uh it's not trauma i'm for lack of a better word uh and I remember there was one room that, when you say there was a a feeling, Mm -hmm. there was one room in our house um, and you had to walk past it to go to the bathroom. So I grew up in an old house and there was like this uh, kind of like a a passage to the bathroom, right? And beside it, there was this old, probably a storage room or whatever it used to be, but a tiny, tiny box room, right? My brother, my other brother used to sleep there, but then he moved out and then, Richie, same guy, always said that that room was haunted, and it's true that you did get, or else just because he said that and everything else, at times at night I would run past that room just to get to the bathroom, right, um, and then years later I was like nineteen at the time, and you know you're grown up, you think you're an adult at this point, and all of that bullshit ghost stuff is behind you, and then my mother's uh, relatives came over, and there was nowhere else for me to sleep apart from in that box room, oh, and I. My first reaction is I'm not sleeping there. My second reaction was, grow up, and don't sh- mm. don't don't genuinely turn around to your mother and go I'm not sleeping in that room because I think it's haunted because she would have been like Are you insane? Go go to sleep there. Uh, so in the end, I I went to sleep in that room, <laughs> scared, but eventually I fell asleep. Right. This is genuine, no word of a lie story. Okay. Uh, oh. In the middle of the night, the door starts opening. But almost as if you, could, you couldn't have put it together in one of your podcasts better because the noise of the door was like, <laughs> and I woke up going, my heart, like, I swear to God, my heart, like as if I was, I was, I was on a plane that was crashing. It was like, but then my head went, okay, you this did. is it. <laughs> I'm now going to see a ghost. This is the moment, right? It was like four o'clock in the morning. Uh, slowly, the door opened slowly. I didn't hear anything. I was like confused. I was like, What's going on? Oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. And then my brother, totally locked, comes in. Do you want a kebab? <laughs> <laughs>
1: four,
0: o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so I was like, No, fuck off. I don't want a fucking kebab. Why would I want a kebab? You woke me up at like four, like half eaten kebab. Get out of the room. Um, and for the next morning, for breakfast. <laughs> I remember telling him, like... <laughs> I was like, Are you scared the But I, then I had to tell him the whole thing of when you oh, told me as a kid, then you said other things about that room. And he was like, did I say that? <laughs>
1: wow. But it's cool that it came full circle and he was yeah. the one to open the door. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: brilliant. Yeah. Um, so I've always had kind of issues with that, but... Um,
1: but, it's, but it is funny, like, the parable. Like, I did... Um, So we did like this research thing years ago about fears and phobias and where they come from and stuff like that. And I worked and I was chatting to um, a child psychologist in Canada. And she was saying, uh, well, unfortunately, the thing is true, like you do get most of your fears from your parents. But Mm. she was saying that she was saying the three to she kind of like summed it up neatly. Like she was going basically like the three ways that you develop fears and phobias if if a dog bites you if a dog bites your mother or if your mother tells you that dog is going to bite you. Mm-hmm. And that's three ways. But the the thing about the belief thing is she was going, um, so she had, a, she said, like a deathly fear of snakes. She's terrified mm-hmm. of snakes. She said she's never seen one in real life. She said she's only seen them on the TV. The thoughts of it give her the creeps. But she said a week before she chatted chat to me on the phone, she dropped a glass and she'd cut herself so much she needed 10 stitches or something. She goes, I'm not afraid of glass, but I'm afraid of this snake that I've never seen one in real life and the thoughts of it but it's all because it's built up in my own head that yeah. i'm terrified of this thing yeah yeah mm. uh,
0: what what the mind can do is yeah. is and then i guess to a certain extent you're working with that right yeah and playing with it yeah which is is, is a talent an incredible like ability to be able to like think of what other people are it's going to trigger other people and again with the podcast and the beauty of it is you really are, and maybe this is Liam as well, is is, is playing with the sounds because uh, there was a part, I'm not going to give anything away, but for people who want to, to listen to the episode that I listened to, but there's a part where someone's knocking, and I think now that you say that, that he creates all of those sounds authentically, because it was really, I don't know, it was a really, when you listen to it in your headphones, you're like, there's someone, there's someone knocking. knocking, there's someone yeah. knocking,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: But it's just that simplicity of knocking, right? Mm. Knocking can sound like, who's there? Who's that?
1: Yeah. What's going on? But one of the big things is um, leaving, it's like leaving spaces, leaving spaces for people to fill it in themselves. There's nothing that you're, go- there's kind of nothing that you'll see that's going to be scarier than what you imagine in your head. Like, yeah. uh, Stephen King had mm-hmm. this has this saying before, he was like, you know, when you're watching a film and somebody's like creeping up towards the door and, um, you know your heart is going, and then they throw open the door, and it's like a ten foot spider, and you go ah! But at the same time, you're going, I thought it was going to be a twenty foot spider. Yeah. So the 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 build, like the reveal, is never quite as scary as the build, and so with this kind of stuff, it's like you just because I know the the part you mean you just see the knock but you don't kind of know what happens next, and it's the the pauses and the anticipation, and it's given you the time to. Put it into your own head. Even mm-hmm. when like, you know, when Lean when would give me the, the first draft of the episode and he'll go, like, you know, what notes have you got or whatever? And I'll usually say, Give another three seconds here of nothing. Let people be waiting mm-hmm. for something to happen. Because if you're it's the it's that anticipation of like if you're listening and holding on for something to happen, you're actually getting more mm-hmm. frightened. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. It's like the the, before the roller coaster drops. You know, it's like just when you're up there and you're hanging for a little bit, that's far more terrifying than when it actually goes. No, like, Mm -hmm. and and, and like,
0: like when I say when I said to you earlier on that I I didn't really appreciate horror films, actually, I do, uh, but. Not like the kind of zombie esque ones, because Mm. it's exactly (laughs) like what you say. As soon as you see them or whatever, it's kind of Mm. then it becomes just about people getting their heads chopped off and all the rest of it. I'm not really into that, but if it's a it's a movie like, like it's more it's this exactly Mm. it's a suspense. Um, I watched one which scared the absolute shit out of me, and I think I I found it so scary because it it could be real. It was Mm. was called Regression. Um, actually by a Spanish director that I can't remember his name now I always get them mixed up Amanabar maybe Um, and basically it was about uh, the idea of um, people thinking they had these memories but they were implanted memories Mm. by someone else so this this actually happened where let's say I uh, arrest you for a crime that you didn't do Mm. but then I convince you that you did it
1: Okay, and then you start in mm. your
0: own head seeing that you did it yeah so uh Sounds you had but the, the film takes the point of view of of the person who's who's receiving this and is like believing and having these memories of terrible things mm. um and i found that really scary number one because it has happened and you just i just this power of the mind and the way it was done and as like you say it's all suspense and there's no uh, big mad zombies jumping out and stuff like that um, which are equally scary you don't get me wrong <laughs> uh, but it, it, that aspect of suspense is, is really cool mm. Yeah. how did the um, I'm interested to know how the live shows came about
1: it was it, it came about because of an invite so the London Podcast Festival um, invited us over to do a live show and we'd never done one before, I'd always kind of toyed with the, not so much the idea of necessarily a live podcast, but the same thing. I was, I wanted to try and create like another hoax, like if you know, you invite people for an evening of ghost stories, but then the theater starts breaking down around you, or a light starts going off, and so people are going, "Is this actually happening, or is this part of the show?" So, uh-huh. the London Podcast Festival House is over, and so I was going, "So okay, so if these people are coming to see a live episode, we don't want them to feel like they're watching a play." So how can we make them feel like they're part of the show? Uh-huh. So the episode ended up being about um, two women who were hosting a live podcast at the London Podcast Festival. Okay. And But written into the script, there's interaction with the audience, so they're getting the audience to say stuff, but that's meant to happen because it's in the script.
0: Uh-huh. And without
1: giving that in way if you haven't listened, the fact that the audience was there um, and something that the audience do has something very much to do with the ending. So mm. it was to try and make people feel that, once again, they were part of it. Yeah. You know, So because, you know, if you're just having people come to watch two actors on stage, what's the point? And so people, like, kind of listening at home, um, some of the feedback that we would have gotten on social media and stuff like that, people didn't realise that it was actually a live show. They thought it was all scripted.
0: scripted. Yeah. Wow. yeah. How does it feel to get, like, such incredible feedback about something that you put together?
1: L- lovely. At the time we were doing it, it was absolutely terrifying, but it's lovely to... Um, it's lovely because sometimes when you're when you're just kind of writing away at home, it feels like finished, and then you throw it into the void, mm-hmm. and you never get anything. And so, you know, if if your friends or family had gone to see a show, of course they're going to tell you it's good or they're not your friends. Yeah. But um, but then with Petrified, it was kind of one of the biggest things where like we were getting so much feedback, and it was some was lovely. Like you know, you, you wouldn't realise how. Many people are listening. Like you know, there was there's one person and um, he was in America and he he was saying that um, he has a job. Like he said, it's kind of a depressing job. Like he just works stacking shelves after the store closes. And he says so when he goes into work, he'll put on an episode of petrified, and that's how he'll do it. And then you know, there's a librarian in Oregon, and she said when it's an especially rainy day, she listened to it on her walk to work and stuff like this. Yeah, and really nice. people would say such lovely things. And so, um, actually, what we What I wanted to do is for the start of the tour season. I just kind of wanted people to know how much it, you know, it how much it means. Actually, just get a little message saying, "Do you know that was great?" So I wrote an episode um, that uh, takes place on the tour bus, and it's two Americans going around um, Ireland. Um, but then they have this game on the bus where you have to figure out kind of who the killer is or whatever, so everyone has to like swap seats and sit beside the person in front. You keep on like that. But as the characters were swapping seats, everyone that they sat beside was a fan who had wrote something, mm-hmm. so you know there was uh I knew that one of them was a dancer and she was a journalist, so when the person sits beside them they're talking to her and she's talking about like you know i'm a journalist and stuff and then they'd sit beside somebody else and that would be a guy from belfast who was a runner so i wrote them all into the show to say thanks Mm. um and so and that was lovely as well because then when we put the episode out those fans getting in contact and just you know there's there's one particular fan we have and she was going um because she, because of the difference in hours, like, she would get home from work and be quite late, so she's lying in bed at two in the morning, and then she realised that she was in the episode, and she said, mm. she, like, just jumped up, and she started, like, shouting, just, come, that's me! <laughs> <laughs> so it's, so it, it it was kind of my way of saying, thank you very much for being so nice to say these things about us. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm. Yeah, and, mm. I, I, yeah it is, it's, it's really nice, because I think, especially when you put something out, um, in an audio form like it's not something that's live like on YouTube or something where you can see comments coming in and all the rest of it Um I even from from the point of view of this podcast it's like sometimes you see numbers and everything like that but yeah. for me that doesn't really feel yeah. like uh yeah. any wouldn't yeah. and then someone says like oh I, I listened to the podcast and I'm like what really? <laughs> you know I thought that was just something I did in a room and no one actually yeah. paid attention yeah. Yeah. but yeah it's uh that's a really cool thing, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Would you without sounding too cheesy, would you say that you're following your passion?
1: Oh, without a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. I'm i ju- I'm I never I I'm never ungrateful about what I get to do. Like, you know, the fact that like the most of the stuff I do is horror. Like, you know, horror for kids, horror for grown ups, horror for theatre, horror on podcasts and just and it's, I'm a very lucky person to just go, I'm doing something that I actually love, you know, I'm not dragging myself down a coal mine or something, you know what I mean, I'm just like, I I, never uh, take for granted that I'm able to make a living out of doing something that I actually love. Yeah, incredible. Yeah.
0: If you were chatting to a mate of yours who, you know, is in a a stable job, a fine job, but, you know, they're not very happy Mm -hmm. doing it or they don't have much meaning and, they might have something else that they or they might they might even not be sure about what they like. But maybe I don't know, maybe they're mad into skateboarding or, mm. or doing graffiti or whatever it might be. What would you say to that person to or would you say anything like
1: You know, it's difficult because unfortunately because of the where we all live now, you need to make money. But yeah. but there's always there's also part of you that you're going like if your job is fifty percent of your life and you hate your job, mm-hmm. you're hating half of your life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think we've all been in those situations where you run yourself ragged or you're staying up late to a job and then after a while or after a few years, you leave the job and you just go, they don't miss me, they replaced me. And so all those things I missed, all those late nights, I stayed up, all those times I was sweating. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're not going to be on your deathbed going, God, I wish I would have gotten that file done, you know. Mm-hmm. so. Yeah. I would, to a degree, that like, like you don't want them to end up destitute based on your <laughs> recommendation, yeah. but always chase what you want to do. Like it's, it's such a, I you know it's such a shame sometimes when you talk to people and, you know, you find out these things about them that they say, oh, I used to, loved doing this when I was younger, or I used to do this thing, or I always wanted to see this country, or I always wanted to do this thing, and they never did it. I think yeah. there's nothing nothing kind of makes me sadder that like you know that you can be disappointed in your your life in a way you know that you can that you can kind of go through so many years just sad you know always trying in some way chase what you love mm.
0: i think a lot of people get distracted by um and you know we are, i i'm not immune to this either but get distracted by what you feel like you should be doing you know whether that's studying just for the sake of studying something yeah. where you probably you're not even interested in it or doing a job because you think that's you know what you need to do, you know, yeah. you get a job
1: and, and and sometimes needs must, you know, people have mortgages, yeah, people course. have children. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's uh, but it is a thing of like if you can find some way of not just giving up on your passion, mm. do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um you have your mate, I guess, to thank you for giving you those
1: deadlines. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's what got you, it's what got you really from, yeah. from point A to point B. Um, you have a live show coming up. Yes. So this, um, I, this we're recording this on the 5th of September. Um, but yeah, it, it, it'll actually be out either this week or next week. Cool. So, um, when is your, your live show going to be?
1: It's the 25th of October, which is a Wednesday in the Laughter Lounge. Um, at eight pm, and once again, I'm still writing it, even though we've started <laughs> selling tickets. <laughs> but, uh, but, it, but the same thing as well. Like, I was going, how can we make this? How can we not ignore the fact that we're in the after lounge Um, so two of the mm. performers are comedians. Okay. Um, there will be a kind of stand-up element involved as well, and that's also a kind of thing that I like to challenge myself. Like, I have to teach myself how to write stand-up comedy, mm. which is, what's the thing they say? Dying is easy, but comedy is hard. <laughs> uh, so, is. yeah, so that, but uh, but the same thing again, I want, um, I want there to be a real level of interaction. I want people to feel like they're a part of the show because the show is like, talks about being in the laughter lounge, they address the audience to make it feel like this is a very special event. You're here at a live show, but it's a live show. It's not, Watching something that's already taken place take place, yeah. brilliant, yeah. Bye of the show,
0: yes. Um, who do I know the comedians? Do do? Uh,
1: so Ali Fox, okay, she does brilliant stuff on Instagram. Um, and she's done a few live shows as well. And then, uh, follow. Oh, she's gas, gas. gas. And then, and she she's um, starting out. So, she's done, she started off doing stand up in New Zealand, now she's doing some stand up over here, she's done a few gigs. And then um, and then we have the straight man, for want of a better word. So that's Margaret McAuliffe, who's done I tons am. of Petrifieds. Yeah. So had time for her back, of course. Yeah. Um,
0: it's I'm, I'm always so impressed. And so whenever we... Because we do the, the live shows every now and then as well, and we have the comedians in to perform. and I just have so much respect for them. Uh, it's so difficult. It's <laughs> terrifying. Like, yeah. that's
1: something that I find terrifying, having to get up in front of everyone and just... If they don't like, because, you know, I've talked to people before, if you're a few minutes in and nobody is laughing, there's yeah. nothing, I could imagine there's nothing worse.
0: Yeah. 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 But I've learned so much from them as well, because um, I don't perform like when we do our live shows, we, we just do a short chat. Like, that's not mm. really a performance, in my opinion. Um, but just learning from them in the sense of, like, you can prepare your act but then your act has to be ready for a specific room and a specific yeah. group of people. So yeah. what I found is the really good ones will go in and they'll like get a sense of the room. And like, just say, let's say it's a smaller crowd. They're not gonna go in with some of their, you know, really loud, brash stuff. It's gonna be more intimate. It's, um, and, and vice versa then if it's a bigger room, it mm. gets, and, but that one act, you have to have many different ways of performing it. Um, so I used to think before it's like oh you just write your stuff and go up and tell your jokes it's like no you have to like <laughs> maybe that's what it would be for the super famous popular people who always know that it's going to be a sold out room or whatever but for those people who go in like there's so many different uh, open mics and stand up places around Dublin uh, and they perform it's just incredible
1: yeah, yeah. and e- and even with the with the performers so you know talk, I won't give away anything uh, because it's not quite written no but I won't give um, but <laughs> one of the Gets up and just does a stand up set. Um, and when I was talking to her about it, she was going, Yep, yeah, fine. She wasn't even flinching. And then the non comedy performer, uh, Mags, when I was saying to her, uh, It's a comedy show, and she was like, Oh, God. So, you know, that she was just like, No. But while the, the comedians were just like, Okay. You know, because yeah. they're, they're used to having so. to put themselves up there like that. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Mm. Um, where can we I, I'm going to put a link anyway is Thank it, it
1: laughterlounge uh, uh, laughterlounge.com you can get the tickets there okay yeah.
0: perfect laughterlounge.com and we search for Petrified or it'll just be there uh, it
1: should be up well I, it's on the website really because I know we started sound tickets um, which is another deadline to write the show but uh, so yeah it's definitely up on the website Yeah. right and you're, how many series have you done now we've done three yeah. so far um, and then this will be our second live show and then yeah, we'll see what the future of Petrified is after that.
0: Do you think there'll be a series four?
1: I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'll keep churning them out as long as people listen. Yeah, yeah
0: for sure. Mm. Like, do keep going with it because um, like I became aware of it when, when you guys got in touch. And um, I just think it's serious quality. Like, it's Thank nice you. to see that format of podcast as well. Where it's not like one like me Or just like chatting to someone Or somebody yeah. else Just chatting into a mic by themselves It's nice to see ones that are really I have a lot of respect for those uh, I wouldn't What you call them a podcast? It's almost like an audio experience Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah like Yeah Um
0: mm. I, mean, I know it's a podcast But I, I think You know
1: Probably the, it was in the past When it wasn't a TV
0: No it was I Actually it was listening Because I do love it Like it's yeah. Even um, I was driving home one day and for whatever was like really late at night and I can't remember what station I was listening to on the radio, but it was a replay of Terry Wogan telling a story about how his career started in in the BBC and basically how uh, essentially it was a time when the IRA had, had bombed uh, a, f- a few places and the BBC had banned Irish musicians from being played in England. Wow and he refused because he was like the ira is not representative of ireland but Mm. if you ban irish music you're banning irish people irish people don't want this to happen so he was fighting against it and then he was being told by the director you're going to be fired but it was a whole audio experience because you know he was doing there was voices and they had actors in to play the director and Mm. Uh, it was I, I sat in the car for like 15 minutes just when I got home. I was like, I can't stop listening to this.
1: Exactly. And if you think of like when when are you going to be listening to to these kind of things? So, the, you know, you might be listening when you're running, when you're walking, dark, when you're doing something. And one of the things I say about even petrified is if people are listening on their headphones, you're whispering into their ear. And there's nothing creepier than that.
0: <laughs> You've just given me an amazing idea. I'm gonna listen to the next episode while running. I just think that would be an incredible motivation. Like I'll be scared shitless, like I'll I'll hit I'll hit, hit all kinds of records. <laughs> It's <laughs> a great idea. Thank you. Oh, oh God, um, Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so um, much. And really, really nice to meet you. And really, Thank you. Uh, it's like yeah, uh, it's like inspirational to hear someone who's kind of going after it, and also to meet someone who's very, very talented. So Thank I you. really wish you and the rest of the actors and Liam like incredible luck, and I hope it uh, yeah just keeps growing and growing and growing.
1: Thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. it. Yeah, and yeah. we went
0: to the show. I think we'll go to the show. Woo! Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. twenty-fifth of October. I, I don't know what day of the week that will Wednesday. be. Wednesday. It's a Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. That should work for us then. Yeah, yeah. I think we are yeah. Host a Halloween. Great we have stuff. a housemaid who's definitely going to be there as well. Yes. She's obsessed with horror. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Wow. I want to yeah. yeah. Oh my god. <laughs>
1: you know, the tree ticket sells done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>